Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening is Jeremy Smith. Much like very public events at the weekend, I have stubbornly refused to be substituted for an actual podcast specialist. But do not fear, we have plenty of league uh, action to chat about. And without any player power trying to force me out before that, here are the latest headlines. On Friday, Saint-Etienne nudged closer to bitter rivals Lyon as they won 1-0 at Dijon. Nevan Sabotic's goal um, in the second half was enough to move Le Verge's three points off the Champions League places. Strasbourg came from behind in the other early game against Lille, with Jonathan Iconi's opener cancelled out by Anthony Gonsalves' equaliser as the match finished one apiece. Saturday saw Paris Saint-Germain notch up another win as they put three past Nîmes. Kylian Mbappe scored twice to become the youngest ever Ligue 1 player to reach 50 goals. Both Amiens and Gangomp pulled out big 1-0 wins in their bids to avoid relegation, with the former creating a four-point gap now to the trap door thanks to Sergio Garassi's winner over Nice, while Luca Doe's late finish saw off Angers as the bottom side are now just two points off the sides above them. On Sunday, Ras and Montpellier put, pulled off an unexpected goal fest as Remy Udan's double helped the away side to a 4-2 win, while not have Nicolas Palois to thank as they won 1-0 at Bordeaux. Toulouse left it late against 10-man Con as Maxilane Gradel saved the day in their one-all draw, while a Hatem Ben Arfalus Ren were held one-all by Marseille, who saw Jordan Amavi sent off in the last few minutes for a very, very cynical foul. In the final match of the weekend, Monaco's biggest test of their quote-unquote new regime ended in victory as they saw off Lyon 2-0. Goals from Gelson Martins and Ronnie Lopez take, make you sit 10 points from their last 12 and they are now 5 points above the relegation places. And that's all for now, but to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this evening with that game in Sunday night between uh, Monaco and Lyon and what would have previously been a top four clash. But at the same time, Jez, starting with the game itself and, and Monaco's win alter, they, it seemed a little... Seemed we, and I remember um, myself and Adam mentioning on Thursday's show that well, we see the Lyon that plays up to teams or play down to teams because of where Monaco is. It was difficult to tell. And in the end, we saw a Lyon team that, that weren't at their best, but also a Monaco team that look stronger, more confident and punish them. Yeah, I think um, you've got to give credit to, Mo to Monaco and also really look at, at Lyon and how poor they were. Um, you know, we said it several times that this Monaco side is, is clearly not a side that should be uh, fifth from bottom or maybe sixth six from bottom, whatever they are now. Um, even during their struggles, I don't think that, that they should have been down there. But certainly the team that, that they're putting out now with a with a fit again, Subasic, with a fit again, Ronnie Lopez. Um, you know, but, but <laughs> clearly this is not uh, a relegation candidate team. And... Um, you know, in a, in a way, the the the, the two goals, um, certainly the goal scorers, kind of personified um, 
the new Monaco, the first goal was, was uh, made and, and scored by two of the newcomers. And the second goal was um, pretty much a, a, a solo run for, from Ronnie Lopez, who they, they severely missed during, during his mostly injured first half of the season. And, and he's proving what we all knew anyway, which is what a, what a classy player he is. But then at the, on the other side of it, you look at, at Lyon and again, both goals. And, um, you know, the Balotouré's cross for, for Martins for the first goal should never really have got through to him. And there was pretty, pretty lax defending from Lyon there. And then the second goal as well, Dubois lost the ball. Um, Marcelo didn't really put in any kind of challenge to Lopez. And, and um, even Anthony Lopez on, on the Lyon side possibly would be a bit disappointed at, at being beaten the way he was with, with what wasn't exactly a, a powerful shot. So, um, yeah, certainly Monaco obviously have got a, a lot of sort of pep back, but, um, yeah, very disappointing performance from Lyon, which, I mean, to be fair, coming after that Barcelona match, which probably would take a bit out of them, and Fekir not being risked and, you know, really being wrapped up in Cotton Wall, I think, until the, until the second leg, and then a couple of injuries during the first half, which it must have disrupted them as well, but, they still should have put in a better performance than that. Yeah, it was it was really disappointing from a, a, a Leon point of view for the sort of, for the sort of um, performance that they put in. But irrespective of that, I thought that Monaco at the same time allowed, well didn't allow them the chance really to to push on. They they went at them from the start, which I think was the the exact right thing to do after that taxing performance against Barcelona and they went at them and uh, Gelson Martins again grabbing the goal a great start for him in his Monaco career that's three league goals now four in all competitions and several assists to go along with that he's just been an x-factor that they needed in the final third and he's an excellent goal as well I love how he takes that sort of snapshot between the legs it, it almost surprises uh, Antonio Lopez, and it, but it's right in the corner. It's a great finish from from the uh, from the young Portuguese man, and it's great to see him finding the form that he had at Sporting Lisbon. And like you say, the second one, there's question marks about the defending, but it's the sheer desire from from Ronnie Lopez fighting against the hero of the hour from midweek, and and another one and podding it past, and maybe a mistake by another hero in 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 Lopez as well. They had all the chances. Uh, Radamel Falcao hit the post and had that excellent overhead kick as well in the first couple of minutes as well, where he wasn't too far away. They almost scored from a corner late on as well. Um, they Yes, there's that moment where they obviously have the penalty as well. Glick's done a little bit of a silly foul, but Sabatic has, has saved in there, but a, a relatively poor penalty at the same time from, from Depay who'd come on at, at half-time. But sort of mentioning things off the field with Monaco first, because we will sort of circle back to Leon and, and comments made about them after the game. But um, a lot of managers in Liga sort of, in some way, stuff their nose up about the Monaco situation in January, which is that they have the money and the affordability to bring in nine players that, as they point out, while we've mentioned that a lot of players getting fit is more important, the fact that they have brought in those players has significantly changed their results and it's changed their season. A, a number of Liga managers have, have expressed their disappointment at that and the fact that maybe there shouldn't be a January transfer window, which is understandable in a sense, Jezza, and you could understand their frustration, but unfortunately, this is the the world of football we live in and the, 
it's kind of something that if we tried to restrict, you'd have to restrict on a global scale. And with the power and money and influence that there is in football now, you're fighting a losing battle, surely. Yeah, I think it's a non-argument. I mean, I, I, even if we were just, even if it was something that could just be applied to league out, I can't see anyone doing it um, for 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 lots of reasons, as much as anything else, just because of the money involved. Um, I'm going to say it probably because of PSG's influence. They're probably always going to want the option of, of making changes in, in January as well. Um, it's it's never going to happen. But I do I do very much understand the the coaches' frustrations. Um, I'd say maybe sort of Lyon to a lesser extent because they're not directly they're not a direct rival of Monaco at the bottom of the table. But at the same time, they are affected by the fact that. You know, they're, they're now playing a, a different Monaco to, to teams that were playing them um, a few weeks back. Um, trying to think when, you know, like Marseille drew with them earlier in, earlier in January. Possibly if, if that match, Nice as well, if those matches are played now, you could well see Monaco getting six points rather than two out of them, for example. Um, so I, I definitely understand the frustration, and in an ideal world, I do think that the January transfer window should either should be should be closed or not never opened, or as a lot suggested today, maybe just one or two jokers, as they say in France, usually they use it as a sort of medical joker where clubs can sort of apply to bring in a I don't know a lone striker if their strikers are injured, that kind of thing. Maybe um, you know just one or two players, but. Monaco brought in nine and sent out nine, and that, you know, that on paper does look ridiculous. And it's it's more. Someone commented to me today about it and said, well, "Yeah, but you know, there's, there's there's risks inherent in that. What if the players don't settle? That kind of thing." Which is an absolutely fair point. But the fact is, Monaco have been able. You know, they're completely stuffed up in the summer. And they've got the means and been able to give themselves a second chance. And that's the kind of thing that um, a car or an Amiens, for example, are just going to go on simply not able to do. Um, and so it, it, I think it does skew the competition. But then at the same time, the competition is skewed anyway. It's just a fact. You know, Monaco can spend more money, even if it was just in the summer, Monaco can spend more money than those clubs. PSG can spend more money than Monaco. So that's, yeah, that's the nature of football nowadays. Um, and also, to be fair to Monaco, yet again, although there's all these players in the squad and, you know, clearly Balotelli and Martins, for example, are making a difference, they did again start with, I think, only Balotelli, Fabregas and, let's see, Balotelli, Fabregas, Silva and Martins. So it's only four of the 11 who are January newcomers. Um, you know, I think just as important with Monaco are the players who come back from injury. So it's not it's not right to put it all on all on that, all on their their January transfer window activity. But it is something that sits a little uneasily, I think. Mm, and, uh, yeah, looking back at it, the, the January transfer window as well, it's fair enough. A lot of these managers didn't really get the backing that. Monaco are favourable, Bob, but uh, I'm pretty sure if you handed them 10, 15, 20 million euros in the, in the influence to do it, would they have bought nine players? 
I think it's sometimes a little well, bit hypocrite, yeah. Yeah, I think they've all acknowledged that, even Genesio. I mean, and to be fair to him, he's comments before the match, not not after the defeat, but he said the same thing. It's not right that no manager is going to do differently. Mm, yeah, exactly. And it, it's, I always think of this when people go, well, they should get rid of the winter transfer window, is that it gives teams that are slightly lower down as well a chance to yes sometimes when you're doing quite well it's a chance to lose a player that might be really valuable to you but obviously it's your option to choose to buy or sell but also gives you the option to pick up one or two signings where sometimes that can be just enough that gets you over the line i think it's it can be uh, while i'm not the biggest fan of actually making a move in january i think you should try and get your business done in the summer if you are in these high-pressure scenarios, it does give you an option to do it. And I think a lot of the smaller teams would actually be at a disadvantage from losing that January transfer window. Because if you are stuck in a whole sort of November time and you get to sort of the, 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 the just before the winter break and you're thinking, well, we look like we're going down here, you've just got to stick with what you've got. And that is, is, is I think, a lot more dangerous for, for some of the smaller teams, in fact, than some of the bigger clubs. And uh, but I, should, I think we should be thankful this transfer windows at all. I think I know people have moaned about it in the past, but I remember, I'm pretty sure a lot of us will remember actually when there wasn't January transfer windows and, and teams used to go on a month or two dip and just go and buy a couple of players um, and then, then change a whole team. So it, it a team would look different, not just um, from six months on, but um, from every couple of months, they would have a new player coming through the door. So it does make a massive difference that you're not winning through the entire league season of losing your best players or, well, or definitely think, getting dipped in. But I think that's why a lot of the managers that were sounded out about it kind of said, we're not, we're not saying there shouldn't be one, but we're just limited to you know, a certain number of players. Yeah. For me, what I think would be more interesting is that I, I think that the window should apply to managers as well. Mm. Yeah, that I definitely agree with. Yeah, I, I think that would make it a lot more um, interesting, at least anyway, because it, it, that's the way they try and do the boost now, isn't it? Instead of trying to grab that one or two players that maybe in a March time or a November to get to get you over the line. Instead, teams go, oh, we'll get rid of our manager. We'll have a, a bit of a boost for a couple of weeks or months, and then um, hopefully he can be the one leading us forward. But yeah, but Maybe some revisions are needed in that, but that's for the lawmakers to make, and that's their job, at least anyway. Uh, back on to Leon, who, who were disappointing, and after that result against um, Barcelona, it will really feel a little bit like a gut punch that they did the classic Leon thing of, of playing down in an extent to opponents, at least in terms of league position. But um, comments from Olas after the game, really, are the ones that caught the eye. Jez, he didn't name anyone specifically, but he was sort of calling out um, players that were looking for a move in the summer and, and uh, taking their eye off the ball, so to speak, um, say who, whatever you will, it could be, <laughs> it could be attributed to three, four, five Leon players at the moment. But um, he's right in saying that they can turn up for these big games, but at the moment, these ones where they need to keep results that that mean that show you're a top player and bits like that, um, people are shirking their responsibilities. Definitely, you know, for some of them, you could at least sort of attribute it to maybe to, to youth and the fact that generally when you're a younger player, you're, you're, you show a little bit less consistency, but it's it happens too often to be to be just a coincidence. And, and whether whether it's down to the players' mentalities themselves or Genesio being unable to motivate them, I don't, I don't know what, what problem is there, but you should be seeing more from these players. And, um, 
there are some that I would be more forgiving of than others. Um, <laughs> to Pai, I think he creates a rod for his own back because he's just, you know, so, so arrogant, picks himself up so much. So many of these quotes say, you know, pretty much saying, I'm using Dion as a stepping stone, come and get me Real or Barca or whatever. That's fine if you're backing it up week in, week out. And, and for the most part, the second part of last season, he did that, probably with a big summer transfer window in mind. But the fact is he hasn't done that this year. And, and as we were discussing just before before we went on there, um, I knew he hadn't scored the whole of this calendar year, but you said it goes far, as far back as, as early November, I think, which is which really is a, a concern for him. And, you know, it's obviously it's easier said than done for us to sort of sit here and say, why is he scoring in top flight matches? But it, it, considering the way he picks himself up, 20 minutes to 2 0 down at Monaco, um, stepping out of the penalty, that's the, that's the kind of shot you should be making. Fekir has missed a penalty in the last couple of seasons, but the really, really big ones that he's had to make, I think he gen- generally has. Um, he's, his form hasn't been superb the last two years, but the difference is that in those big matches, he does step up. The pie simply doesn't, or certainly hasn't this year, and that's the real concern. Um, and then the other two players that people are saying that, that Olas's comments may have been directed at, but Dubois, which <coughs> I think is a little harsh because he had a good game against Barcelona, and then the media sort of went mad saying Dubois the next France right back and I don't think it was necessarily him who asked for all of that attention. Um, so, you know, for him to have an off match, it's not like it's his first off match this season. Um, he has had some sort of growing pains at him. So that one I'm a little bit more forgiving of. And then the other one is Ndombele who certainly has sort of gone hot and cold this year and there, there are rumours that he's kind of he has taken his eye off the ball with rumours of you know, teams like Man City being interested. And the fact is that this isn't the best way of putting yourself in a shopping zone because, as you said, you need, you need to you need to be able to show that you can do it week in week out against the top teams, but also against the smaller teams. And um, we know that we've seen before that you can do it against the the big teams, but he needs to do it um, more consistently. The only thing I'd say there is that I think it is his manner and it's well known that you know, when he was a kid and, and now as well, and it's his, his weakness as well as his strength, I guess, that he's just, by all accounts, a very, very laid-back character who doesn't really sort of feel the pressure in those big matches. And maybe a little bit like Ozil, maybe his, um, his sort of laid-back attitude is misinterpreted as, as a lack of motivation or um, a lack of... Uh, I don't know, keenness to perform. Um, and I, I just, sometimes it frustrates me a little that he gets the kind of criticism that Aroa never does because for, for me, Aroa has been just as disappointing for, for large parts of this season. And I don't know if he's kind of the, the golden boy or something or it's the type of player that he is, but he seems to escape criticism, um, which I'm not sure is always right because I think he, he goes missing at least as much as I Mm, yeah, sometimes those sort of 
quote unquote pretty players um, can get away with it a little bit more. But yeah, um, going back to Depay quickly, I know we we sort of spoke about it a little bit before the show started, but it it, it last goal he scored um, in any kind of football was for the Netherlands against France, which is, it feels a little bit ironic. He had scored the game before before for Lyon, so it's it's since the tenth of November he scored for for club football, and in terms of in 2019, at least anyway, he's only got one assist out of about, I think that looks about about 10, maybe even 11 games so far this calendar year, which which is what it emphasises the difficulty really with him at the moment. Because while he was a frustrating player and he'd have games where he would be really off and you'd be really annoyed at him, a lot of the positives of, of Depay and a lot of his, his fans would point out that his stats were good and that he was scoring goals. And admittedly, in the first half of the season, he was still scoring goals. I mean, he got about 10 or 11, I think it's about 10 league goals um, before the, the turn of the year and several assists as well. I'm, I think, looking about six or seven there as well. But since then, it's, it's all gone pretty dry as well in fact he got about five assists just before the end of the season including a couple in the in the champions league really but as, as soon as it sort of turned into to the new year and since the comments ironically they're saying sort of come and get me yet again and, and going on that ego trip that he sometimes goes on it's uh, sort of weighed a little bit more heavily on his game than maybe it should have done and they they do need to perform better in these these games that not necessarily should be winning it's maybe a, a bit of a stretch to say it for that for Monaco particularly, but given that this happens too regularly against teams that are struggling, that um, Leon maybe need to put their ideas up in these ones and have the same kind of focus and drive as they do in these really big games where they have been excellent. And, and on to a team that has been big in the excellent games it is Ren, who uh, got a draw against um, Marseille at the weekend. Maybe a little bit unlucky. They could have had a goal in the last couple of minutes, had a Jordan and Marvy not committed the most professional of fouls, I think is maybe the only way you could really describe that one. Uh, talking about um, Ren, it's, it's been a great week for them, really, but would they be a little bit frustrated that they couldn't get over the line and, and compound what had been such a positive forward step for them finally, first time they've been in knockout competition, in knockout rounds of a European competition, and they qualify for the next round straight away, that they couldn't follow that up with a, a big win against a rival and, and even push themselves into potentially favourites for a Europa League place? Yeah, I, th- I think there's got to be frustration there. I mean, obviously, the velodrome, when things are a little bit more upbeat, is not an easy place to go. Um, What's the match at the Verdadrome? It's just the Roseanne part. Don't worry, that's oh, okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they actually, even more so, than, you know, they're at home. They, they dominated the first half. And, and Marseille are, are obviously in a, in a bit of an upturn of form. But you'd expect with, yeah, playing at home and with the, with the lead that Marseille effectively gave them. I mean, I, I saw a Marseille fan tweet quite angrily. You know, this is exactly the kind of match. Ren, Ren had even said that they came back tired after the Europa League match. This is the kind of match where we should be sort of, you know, really attacking them from the off. Instead, we've basically given them a, uh, you know, really nice first half where they can just sort of, um, pass the ball around, take it easy, and, and play into their hands, which was, was 
frustrating for Marseille fans and, and exactly what Ren fans would have wanted. So having had that first half and having built the lead, um, they, yeah, I think they should be disappointed not to come away with the win. And you know, had they won, they'd be only a point behind Marseille as it is. It's still, um, I think, a four-point gap, which is at this stage of the season still relatively important, especially since <coughs> in theory Ren may be distracted by um, by by a Europa League run. Um, but I suppose you also have to give Marseille credit for for getting back into the match. But um, talked about Depay going a, a long period without scoring. Um, Sherman's starting to look a little bit sharper again, and we've got that goal and a massive egg on his forehead for his for his troubles. But you know, still, still managed to score. And um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's a it's a good result for Marseille, and I think if anyone's disappointed, we're probably should be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised your man stayed on, to be fair, after that um, huge bump he had on his head. I was almost certain he would be concussed, but he managed to stay on the pitch. And uh, I don't know if you'd say credit to him, really, because I would, I would have definitely come off, I think. Um, but the, sort of heading as well to to the point I wanted to make about the game, at least before we talk, talk about off-the-field matters for, for both clubs, really, in, in a way. that um, <laughs> I mentioned it in my intro there, but Marvy's red card... Uh, I don't know what they'll do in terms of suspension afterwards, but I know Marseille fans might get the guilt up about this, but I, I really hate those kind of fouls. I would give him a three-game ban. He's he's not just stopped a, an obvious goal-scoring opportunity; it's practically a win of a game of winning that game, a goal that would have won that game um, with the one-on-one that's happening there. The difference it makes to the table, really, two extra points for Red puts them right behind Rance and it also means Marseille dropped to, to sixth and in the long term of things we are getting to the short end of the season really and these kind of results do pile up so it could be massive at the end of the season if if Marseille uh, finish a point above Rennes then they have every right to be agreed that uh, Marvi did something that essentially stopped them with a with a real chance of victory I, I can't see well, uh, this kind of thing, I, I, I've mentioned it a few times in, in the English game that cynical foul should be should be punished a little bit more heavily to try and have, um, try and cut them out of the game a little bit more. But especially incredibly heinous ones like that, I, th- I think you should maybe get a three game ban. In all honesty, I, I, it's, it's one of those things that f- for a sportsman style of thing. And yes, it's the classic take one for the team, but it's it's not something I really want to see in football anymore, in all honesty. It's, it takes away from what should be the entertainment side of the game. But off to matters off the field, at least for both teams, in a way, we'll, we'll sort of focus on, on Rem first. And they've had... Um, their fixture moved for this week, really. The, the game against Nîmes has not really been mentioned quite yet by uh, by the league of when they'll play their game against um, Nîmes now, but it has been postponed for the time being for a movement to help with their games coming up against Arsenal, which will be really exciting for Rev fans. Certainly. What do you think to the move? A lot of people have, have, have praised the fact that um, Liga and are, are doing a little bit more to help sides that are in Europe and they have done in the past as well to be fair moved games around a little bit to make it a little bit easier for clubs I know Paris tends to play sort of Friday or, or Saturday morning game or uh, the earlier Saturday games and they try to avoid players teams playing on a Sunday if, unless it was after a, a Thursday game uh, what, what do you think to the move of them allowing that new game 
against Wren to, to be moved elsewhere. I've got um, just quickly on the oh. on the um, on the Amavi thing. I think it's maybe uh, part of me thinks you have to look at it a little bit like the um, like what we were talking about earlier with the transfer window. I, I don't disagree with you, and I think there's a lot of things in football that should carry more serious bans than they do. There's anything if you it's something you might touch on later as well. If you injure a player, and generally this is something France are quite good at compared to England. If you injure a player, you should be out for at least as long as that player is out. You know, you see players who are out for sort of six, nine months after a really nice tackle, and then the player who did it is back after a three-game ban. So I think there's a few things there, and I, I agree that a professional crowd is very cynical and should carry longer bans, but as long as that's the rule, that's the rule. And you know, I'd say, is that any worse than, you know, apart from the match situation, is that any worse than Glick? Um, conceding the penalty, which was also pretty much a goal-scoring chance, so he doesn't even get sent off because it's in the penalty area now, so they, got, they still have a goal-scoring chance afterwards. Um, and the only other thing I would say to that <coughs> is that one frustration with Wren is, I mean, they, I think at the moment they're possibly the divingest team in the game. It's pretty atrocious, and even with that one, you look at it from the head-on angle, and I'm not even sure that there was much to it. I think we could have stayed on his feet if we'd wanted to. Now it would have made it a little bit more interesting. So mm. I don't, I'm not going to cry too many tears for, for Ren. And, and yeah, it's a frustrating rule, but sadly it's, it's one of many rules that I'd change given the chance. Um, on the, on the, uh, the change of the fixtures, I'm torn on this one as well. And I think, it's, I, I'm pleased to see the league doing something to sort of help French clubs. Um, and so to the extent that it might help Red in Europe, then um, I'm sort of for it. But this, it's also something that sits a bit uncomfortably with me because you know, if, if, if something's wrong, then fine, change it. And you, know, you can't go back and, and change the mistakes you've made in the past. But it does, you know, Marseille, the big teams that then have just played, looking at this, might have said, "Well, you know, if we've been given a couple of a couple of breaks last year during our run to the final, we might have got those extra couple of points that would have got us a Champions League place. So, you know, why did Ren benefit from something that we haven't? Um, and also, you know, it's always been the case. If generally, you play on a Thursday, you play on a Sunday, and that should give you enough. I, I sort of think I'm I'm not convinced that they need that extra time and. You know, if, if, if Salih had said, we are doing this absolutely because we want, you know, we need France to, to, to raise its coefficient, um, then, then maybe I'd have less problem with it. But the fact that it seems to have come from Ren saying, can we have longer because we're tired, I think it seems a bit pathetic and it's still a bit kowtowing to them. I'm not really sure what, why. Why they've been allowed, and as someone someone put on Twitter today, you know, if they if they um, get as far as the final, does that mean that they'll be playing their rearranged matches till like mid July? I think again, it's um, you know we over the, the the matches that were postponed because of the because of the Gilets Jaunes protests. <coughs> it's we were saying that it's 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 not right that some teams have been able to play their matches and are getting nice little breaks in between, and others are having to sort of 
at some point fitting these extra matches and saying it's not right with PSG have been given this extra match off and it's Montpellier now their their competition for sort of the the teams with the teams around them for the Europa League spots it's all skewed and um, I I think the league should be going out of their way to try to get everyone to play the same matches at the same time at the same weekend as much as possible and um, here again, you know, without looking at uh, Red Bull's coming matches, um, if, if they're going to set a precedent like that, it's not. It's also not fair on Ren's opponents, and it's not fair on the teams around both both Ren and the, and their opponents. I mean, for example, here. So um, I like the. Uh, I like the principle behind it if the principle is to give French clubs a better chance in Europe. But I'm just not convinced that that is why it's being done here. And, and to that extent, I disagree with it. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a, sometimes the thing we forget about this sometimes is we're like, oh, we should do everything we help do to help teams um, be fit and, and progress in Europe. Then we also forget that. Is it questioning the integrity of the the leagues they stand for? And I suppose sometimes if people think the Premier League, for example, are behind when they don't move teams around for for Europe. But maybe the, there's an argument for and against that that makes sense for for both ways, really. But um, other comments that that happened at the week really it was the big story really for Rome was Hatton Benarfa didn't play in this game, didn't travel with the team, missed a, a team meeting a couple of days before saying that um, um, with the with the manager saying that that, that he was exhausted. It, it's not the first time that Benarfa has done something um, untoward, shall we say? It's not the most egregious thing of missing a team meeting, but he's he's missed the game and he's reportedly told Stefan that he's, he's apologised for it and, and had meant nothing by it. But uh, another day, another moment where we maybe thought that Ben Arthur was turning over a new leaf and it, it turns out maybe not quite. Yeah, I, th- I think it remains to be seen how, how serious it is, whether there is anything to it and or, and or whether it's sort of the start of, of something else. But <laughs> I think Stefan, I, I don't know because I don't know if it is as simple as that or that or Renner sort of trying to hide that there's something more. But you know, Stefan was sort of gave a, a good answer and then was pressed on it. And the more he was pressed on it, the, sort of, the more battles he got and the more he, his, his answer sort of didn't quite stand up to scrutiny. And he, he, even if it was just that he was tired, which again, I think is pretty pathetic. Why should he be more tired than any of the other players around him? Um, Stefan did eventually admit that he was only that when that Ben Arthur contacted him only sort of after he should have turned up rather than before to say I won't be turning up so <coughs> clearly he, he did a little bit wrong there and, and Stefan said it will be dealt with internally um, yeah we'll have to wait and see if it's, if it's the beginning of, a, of the latest slippery slope or, or or not, and you know, this is another test of, I guess, of, of Stefan's young, quite young um, career as a, as a coach, how, how he handles this situation. Um, you know, probably if it had been nine out of ten other players, no one would have batted an island, but just because it's been offer, um, people are paying more attention, partly because they're thinking, is this going to be the latest in, in, uh, in that sort of year? Um, yeah. in terms of season in his career or 
even if it isn't, you know, he's obviously the type of player who always gets a bit more puzzled how the rest of the team can react to that. So I think watch this space, but it could turn out to be something of nothing. Yeah, it, it feels like at the moment it's too quick to to judge either way, isn't it? I, I think that, it, like you say, because it's been off, you instantly sort of hark back to the fact that he's done this kind of thing before. But at the same time, people sleep in. I've done it before. I know that it's not necessarily professional for a, a footballer of his calibre and you should maybe expect a bit more, but it's not the most obscure thing to say that if he was I'm a little bit tired, he had a, maybe a, an extra bit of a lion and... It's not, it's not completely out of the realms of possibility, at least, but we'll, we'll sort of see how that situation develops. Back to sort of Marseille to, to finish before we move on, because uh, we sort of breaking just before we started, really, that Abu Dhabi announced on, on French television that he, he is retiring um, th- at 32 years old. Admittedly, unfortunately, in a way, a butt of jokes, really, in the end in, in England. And I know there will be some praise from, from corners of, of Arsenal fans, especially who saw him. And uh, uh, I know there was a, a tweet that we put out about Paul Pogba speaking about him last year. And we obviously saw him at Marseille do pretty well in a couple of games until that curse that ended his career really in all honesty is is the injuries and, and Jesse never really could escape it even there was the really bad injury to start off with obviously in his Arsenal career but they were there was mentions of injuries um, before he left Auxerre but from from uh, for Arsenal themselves they were saying that maybe he needs to stay another year because he just keep picking up little niggling injuries he got the big one at Arsenal on he, on his ankle he had the ACL he had the ankle sort of flared up a number of times a couple of hamstring injuries and and he barely plays not played since since uh, back at Marseille in in in, in sort of 2016 now I believe it's sort of the end of the that year it's it, it's always going to be classed as one of those careers that unfortunately will be forever saying what if. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Pogba gave a, gave a quote about him because he really was the sort of, in a way, the precursor to Pogba. He was, I think, because of um, because of his height and the fact that he was at Arsenal when, when he sort of came onto the scene there, I think people were comparing him to Vieira. But I think he was a lot more than that. He was a, a real box-to-box player who, who could do a bit of everything. He could play the Vieira role, but he could play the Pogba role forward and um, I was chatting to someone on Twitter today who referred back to a French match which I don't remember against Bosnia where he played as a number 10 he was excellent and he really he could have he had the talent to become one of the best midfielders in the world um, and just you know, very cool that he was he was robbed of, of the chance to do that so that he, he 11, in an 11 year career, he played only 208 matches, which you know, nowadays when people play up to sort of 50, 60 matches a season really is, really is a shocking statistic. And um, yes, he's had like, <coughs> I think something like 18 different injuries or injuries to 18 different parts of his body. And um, so, you know, who's to say whether his, his career would have been affected anyway, but it, it really does feel uncertain. Bengo in, in numerous quotes in the past as, as, um, feels that it, it all came down to that, that horrific tackle against um, against Sunderland where he broke his ankle and tore ligaments. And um, when the news came out, I actually found an interview with um, Dan Smith, who was the, the 19-year-old who did it to him. And he 
<laughs> in the interview, to be fair, he shows very, very little remorse and seems to, to paint himself as the victim that his career has been ruined because of it. And, um, you know, we talked earlier about how one of the things that I would like to change is, is you know, if you, if you inflict a long-term injury on a player, then you should, you should sort of suffer the same length of time out of, out of the game. As it turned out, I think he only had a three-game professional career and you know, it does feel a little bit like some kind of cosmic payback for, for karmic payback for, um, for what he did to DRB. But at the same time, he has a bit of a point to say that you can't put everything down to that. And it's just you know, a little bit like Fafana at Lyon. It even looked like Grenier was going to go that way for a while as well. Just really unfortunate that such a talented player genuinely and um, they could have, could have been a, a fixture in that France midfield for, for, well, for those 11 years, basically, um, really was robbed of a, of a sort of consistent high-class career. Yeah, it's a real shame for him. I, the one thing I want to do is that I really hope that he looks back on his career and doesn't think, what if like some fans will do or, or some fans will see him as a sort of a, a butt of a joke of a player that essentially just couldn't get back on the field and every time he did he was almost made out of out of glass it felt like but at the same time he should look back that he played for some fantastic clubs in Arsenal and, and Marseille around some incredible players that fought very highly of him his, his mental attitude really I know we had that 2016 interview that was a little bit heartbreaking really to read but at the same time his mental attitude to stay positive for all this difficulty is really something to behold and hopefully he does stay around football and use his experiences to, to help those around him though you know there's no player that knows the difficulty of having to to come back and, and, and try again and fight through these injuries and it's unfortunately at this point it's sort of got a little bit too much for him and I don't blame him at 32 not playing a, a professional well a competitive game at least for for almost three years now it's got to that point where he's like he's, well, he puts it about best himself I think where he says I decided to quit simply because my body wouldn't follow where I want to what I wanted to do anymore of course this is hard and I've given almost all my life to football and it, I don't think anyone can deny him that he absolutely gave everything he could to try and get on the field and when he did have those moments it, two particular seasons at Arsenal he was, he was really terrific and uh, hopefully he can pass on his brilliance and his knowledge and, and uh, his experiences that are quite separate to a lot of players like you say because of what the time he's had to spend out and and watch games and and, and study games that maybe he can he can pass that on to, to future generations but regardless of what he decides to do really that wish him all the best in the, in his retirement and um, hopefully he can uh, enjoy the times that he did play on the football field at least anyway because he, can, he could be a, a really excellent footballer uh, to watch uh, on to matters back in the league and especially down the bottom of the table at least anyway because we've been mentioned in the last couple of weeks that it's a it's a sort of a melee between four or five teams and it it remains that way really after results that we can because Amiens got a big win. Gangomp even got a big victory when we thought that they maybe, well, they, they definitely needed it more than anything. But when we thought that they may be down and out, they've grabbed victory and, and Amiens are starting to get goals. Now, Con sort of denied in the last moment as well, even though they obviously had a man sent off as well. And it was, it was all going off and heading into 
um, sort of focusing on the bottom side, at least Gangonpu, we, we didn't get a hope or a prayer for, but they, they did show a lot of things the previous week for in the, in the defeat to, uh, excuse me, in the, in the, in the draw to Bordeaux, where especially it was the midweek game, wasn't it? Where, where Rui even had that chance and close from close quarters to really grab the points, but it, it wasn't to be, but just what they needed, really. It feels like a tonic. The, the, the end of the game celebrations were very verbose, shall we say, really. And now, looking forward, they play not at the weekend that aren't completely out of it yet now with all the results starting to go their way as well. And then they've got a couple of weeks there away to Toulouse, who, again, aren't completely out of it and neither in particularly good form. Are Gangomp starting to maybe cause a little bit of a stir at the bottom, Jez? Um, I think they could potentially be. I mean, the, the, the bottom three, I think it's going to change quite quickly, but the bottom three are a little bit adrift now. Dijon have a game in hand, but there's a, there's a, a four-point gap between Coin 18th and Amiens 17th. But, you know, without that, when Gangon would seriously be cut adrift. And, and I've, I've alluded, it, alluded to it before as a mess fan that mess were absolutely atrocious last year and yet it still took sort of 35th or 36th week before they got relegated it shows that um it doesn't take a lot just a, a result here and there just to, to sort of keep into the in the fight so that that dog goal in the in the, in the last minute really could prove to be crucial and especially the fact that 18th place is a playoff place so it sort of gives you a second chance effectively gag on uh, now only um Sort of two points away from, from a shot at safety, um, and and I think that makes a difference. And even though obviously the form is a sort of very fragile thing, but um, following this weekend's matches, even though they're bottom, in some ways you could say that you'd rather be in Gago's position than, than Dijon and Caen, in the sense that at least you know, they're, they're coming off the back of, of uh, what four. Four points in two games, the, the sort of adrenaline boost of a, of a dramatic win, and as you said, two, two sort of makeable matches coming up. Whereas Dijon just, it's, it's still strange to me because they've got such an exciting attacking team, but they're still really seen in the doldrums. And, and even Khan looks so poor, and you know, they've got Kulpis in now, and they, they were so close to, to a crucial win, and, and them being pegged back so late on as well. It's gonna. It's probably gonna hit them a lot hard. So, it's, so although Gangon is still bottom, arguably their their tails are up a little bit further than their their closest rival. That's the thing, isn't it? It just makes it a tad more interesting. And and going up to to Con, who must must be heartbroken, really. It felt like maybe it was one of those results that Con pull up where they they nick a victory that they they desperately needed because they've been on an awful. Awful running results, really, is maybe the only way you can really describe it. And against a team like Toulouse, that back in December they beat really at home and away, they go ahead and they they get themselves in front just before half time, a perfect time to grab a goal. Uh, Ishmael Diamonde gets himself red carded, and you think, oh, is it all going to fold in again? And it, it fortunately does as as Gradel scores that the goal in the last couple of minutes that that sort of seals the fate and pushes them closer because as well as that happening and obviously Dijon lost to, to Santetti and that keeps them in the mire which meant that Kong went above them on 
on goal difference. But Amion now are starting to pull away. Monaco's win obviously put them five points ahead, but Amion's win gives them a four-point advantage. They've got a really tough game coming up against Rennes. Like you can maybe not see anything coming from that one at least. But in the last couple of weeks, well, it have been really positive for them. Two wins out of three. Um, that victory over Com obviously looks big, but a victory over a Nice side that have been pretty poor in the last couple of games since they beat Leon. But regardless, getting someone different on the go on the score sheet like Garassi Jez and and getting the victory that you needed heading into um, a relatively favourable March, you might say, maybe well, a favourable couple of months really for Amiens. They've a lot of their big games already out of the way. They need to pick up wins in these games that they can. And getting a surprise one like this, you may say, it just adds to the case that they may just about have enough to stay up again. Possibly. I, on paper, I would still say that um, they have a, a weaker team than, than um, Dijon and Gankov, but they've got that that uh, sort of big, big lead over them, six points over Gankov, I think, and four over Dijon. That, that makes a big difference at this stage in the season. And if they can keep it tight, which for in the, the first half of the season they weren't doing so, but recently they've tightened up a little bit in defence. Then you don't need to to score that many to to get results. And um, we've spoken before about how important Kanate is to them. It was great to see Girassi scoring at the weekend. And they don't need to sort of share too many goals between them, um, as long as the defence are doing their job to to, to scrape out those points. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on it because <laughs> certainly for a lot of this season it did feel like this is I was say one season too many and this is only the second season in the game but it felt like maybe it was a step too much for them to, to, to survive again but um, a combination of their, their the, the sort of I guess refusal to lie down that, that we've seen from them over the last almost two years and, and poor form from a couple of of other teams who you'd expect to be doing better, really giving them a good chance, and um, yeah, that they could well get out of it. It does. It does feel, although to lose and not are sort of creeping the wrong way, it does feel a little bit like any three of, of, of those four, um, the, the current bottom four, that it, it might fall between between them ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing for for Amiens. They, like I say, they got a difficult weekend game of the weekend. But then, Nîmes, Angers, Bordeaux, Saint Etienne, a tougher one there. Dijon, Nantes, Strasbourg, Montpellier, Toulouse, Monaco, Gangomp. There's not really a, a big swinger in those games. You maybe say the Rans games. A real tough one. Saint Etienne are always a, a tough ass. Strasbourg, depending on where how they're doing in that part, and same with Montpellier, really. And what we're we seeing Monaco-wise in the in the second to last game of the season. But there's so many opportunities for them left in this end of the season, and to be in the position they're in, I, I think they've got a real bad chance at this, really. Especially given that that can't can't seem to buy a win at the moment and they've got like we said that that sort of murderer's row in the next four games especially Paris Saint-Germain they've got Monaco they've got Marseille it's, it's not going to be fun at all for them really in the next couple of weeks Dijon are away to Lille this weekend 
They've then got a, a, a difficult home game against Ras. It's, it's not looking great for them either. Maybe those three sort of maybe get caught drift depending on how, how Gangomp get done. But Amion and Monaco um, now got great chances to pull away. And that, depending on how results go below them, um, might even start pulling those teams that we thought safe in Toulouse and not maybe just start um, getting the, shall we say, squeaky bum is maybe the best way to put it more than anything. Um, I think if, a, if anything were to happen to Grey Dell, we could be in trouble. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you need to wrap Gridell in bubble wrap, uh, make sure he only trains, um, he can only swim, um, a bit like Ledley King at the end of his career, he can only swim <laughs> for training for the rest of the week because we don't want anyone kicking him and uh, make sure that he's ready for every single Saturday, Sunday that, that they need him for because by God, by Jove, do they need him really more than anything. Uh, on to our final bit this week, and it's my favourite bit, as always. It's our league and snapshots. Now, I'll start with yourself, Jez. What's your league and snapshot for this week? Um, my one for this week is uh, Nicolas Palois, winner for four months, um, firstly against his, his former team. Secondly, a, a fantastic volley, which was more like a, a top centre forwards finish than a, than a defender. But also, he's um, it's it's been sort of well documented that he was a, he was a pretty close friend of, of Emiliano Salah. He received one of the last messages that, that Salah sent before taking off. Um, and he 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 flew over for the funeral. I think maybe maybe even one of the pallbearers. So I think he's probably been affected more than most by by what's gone on the last the last month or so. So it was nice to see him sort of having a, a really cathartic goal and what could be the winner um, in, in, in match at the weekend. Yeah, against Paul. I think I had a bit of a rant on Thursday about Bordeaux and I don't think it will sort of end. We might have to see how they do in the next couple of weeks and see if I give them another battering really to be fair because uh, do not watch Bordeaux is my <laughs> current <laughs> evaluation of them more than anything. Uh, my league snapshot goes to the, the man who gets too many plaudits, really, to be fair. I should probably, we should probably stop mentioning, really. Kylian Mbappe, um, the Paris Saint-Germain forward, scored the, his 50th league and goal at the weekend. Um, fastest player ever to get 50 goals, or well, youngest at least anyway as well. Um, a great thing for, for the young man to achieve. He's been I think even better this season. He's certainly been Paris Saint-Germain's most important player, um, given that there has been injuries to Neymar and Cavani. That's made it a little bit easier than usual, but um, I think he's becoming on leaps and bounds. That that um, He's always been a really excellent player and, and he's going to close in on to being one of the best players in the world. It's, it's, there's no doubt about that, but that World Cup has just sort of added an extra incentive for him. He He's cut out some of the little bits of silliness. He's had a couple of little moments, but it's especially since the turn of the year, I, I think he's been absolutely sensational. Um, a real driving force, showing that he can play out on the width and and through the middle even the last couple of games as well, expanding his game as it grows. And um, He's really going to be a special footballer to watch. And uh, I think you should put your bets on for him to be in the top three of the Ballon d'Or for, for 2019 already because he's he's going to be up there really because if he keeps putting in performances like this and he maybe even drag Paris Saint-Germain closer to the, the Champions League if they can get to the semis or even the final, then um, there's going to be no stopping him really. And it's uh, unsurprising that he gets a mention as he, as he usually tends to do in these things. Uh, that's all we, that we have time for this evening. My thanks to Jez and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show, which will be back on Thursday. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week.
Abianto, and goodbye.